Welcome to the Sundown Outdoors Predator Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Slim. We are here to talk all things predator hunting. If you're a predator hunter or wanting to become one, you're in the right place. On this podcast, we will talk with fellow predator hunters all over the United States about the gear and tactics they use to put more fur in the truck. Episode 6 is off and rolling. I am very honored to have James O'Neill of O'Neill Ops here with me. Uh, this guy is one of the best in the business, and I have looked up to him for years. So when I asked him to be jump on here with me, and he was all for it, and uh, three hours later, we finally decided we better shut it down before we, we stayed up all night talking. So uh, it was a great conversation. Uh, I'd like to thank James for joining me again. Um, so we're going to jump right into it. So here it is, James O'Neill, O'Neill Ops. All right, guys, we're here with James O'Neill of O'Neill Ops. Um, he is one of the most badass coyote hunters that I can think of. If you haven't followed on his YouTube or his podcast, the predator hunter podcast. Um, I know that I've spent hours watching and listening to him. So I'm honored to have him on tonight and, uh, we're going to shoot the shit and talk smart and hopefully you guys can even take something away from this tonight. So James, thanks for joining me. Absolutely, man. I'm humbled to be able to even do stuff like this with fellas. So it's it's fun, man. Absolutely. All right, guys. So James, give us a little rundown of you, who you are, um, what where where your background came from and what led you into this uh crazy world that you're living now. So to put it easily, the easiest way to describe it is just I'm a rancher. That's my profession. That's what generates the income. That's what I do. And most, you know, you guys know and understand the concept of it, it just predator hunting goes hand in hand with being a rancher, predator control, um, a student of the game, student of the land, protecting your investment, protecting what, what earns you money, protecting the world's food supply. That's the easiest way to put it. So I've, I've been doing it forever. Uh, I've, I mean, the, literally, literally the first memories that I ever had were freezing in our old tin corrugated tin galvanized shed that was the shop at the time and standing in the back of an old green Chevy Silverado watching my dad skin coyotes, you know, and I remember him getting hundred dollar bills for good fur back in the, right. it would have been the early eighties, you know, so I was in five, four, five, six years. Those were some of my first memories. And it just, it didn't necessarily all of a sudden, boom, you know, I want to do this. It just, it was part of my life already. And then yeah. everything just kind of collided with sports having an abrupt end, having a morbid infatuation with firearms, you know, a, a, a sickness with it. And then you, you know how it goes. You just, you, you take a certain route and then things branch off. And then I'm like, why don't we just film it? And we were able to do it at a very fortunate time in the, in the industry before a lot of stuff really hit the fan, including suppressors and, and even like, you know, short barreled bolt action rifles and uh, got kind of lucky with some exposure. And so it goes. Absolutely. Well, if you guys have, like I said, if you guys haven't checked out his YouTube channel, like some of the most amazing coyote hunts that will get you absolutely fired up to get out and try to call some in yourself. Like, I I think uh, one of the best 
I mean, I there's all, there's so many good videos, but one of my favorites is the one with the the five dogs coming across that that frozen lake, and just them coming up to I don't know how close it is, and the one just gets crushed right there, and the other one doesn't even flinch. And I mean, if that doesn't make you want to get out and grab a call and go call coyotes, you know, I I don't know what does to be honest with you. Yeah, that was just a recent video, man. That was, I think, just one of last year's productions yeah, that we did. Yeah, yeah. And real quick, before we go into, I, 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 I misspoke when I said outdoors showdown. It's outdoors sundown established yep, sundown 2019. Yep. Sundown outdoors. There you go. Sundown outdoors. Predator podcast. Drew, gotcha. Cool dude. Yep. Yeah, that was a that was the thing is is when you get into sets like that, I don't. I'll, I'll go over whatever you want or however you want to do it, but the more it, here's what it all, I always say this all the time. Here's how it boils, what it boils down to. The more times you do anything, the more times you go out there, the more times you hit the field, the more times you expose yourself to repetitive experiences. Like we get ourselves into chances are eventually something like that's going to happen. You know, it's not, that's not really crazy out of the ordinary, but it kind of is. Because there's probably been a lot of guys that have experienced killing quads, quints, triples, doubles, but they, they don't record it. You know, I'm not saying anything against it. It's just, it brings a whole nother perspective to the ball game when you take the added time and try to bring a camera into your sets, into your hide and document everything that happens on video, because it's not that, you know, everybody's a bunch of, you know, BSers when they tell you, Oh dude, I called in five coyotes and killed them. I, we believe you, but it's just hearsay, you know, it's just words until you can actually show it. And that's where you can really grab people. If you can, if you can show people stuff like that, but it's hard to, you know, we're, we're handicapping ourselves so bad by bringing the camera along. It's unreal. It's just, right. it's, and it's, you're only having one shooter. Exactly. Yep. Yep. So, well, sometimes now we have, was that you or me? Was that me? I didn't hear anything. Okay. Gotcha. I just heard a little, a little beep around. It must've been my computer doing something, but, um, usually, usually, honestly, we try to have two shooters now, like John will go with and Keith will go with, but a lot of times one can't. So we only have one guy, but you get a couple guys and you can mess shit up pretty quick. You know, excuse my language. I'll try to, I won't, I'll try to, you don't have to church it up. We're good. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll try to um, just, I, I got kids. So you know how that goes. I try to. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. Um, so when you take two guys, do you put a guy downwind or are you guys sitting together just for communication and video purposes? No, it's strategic, man. It's, it's, it's all planned out. And now pretty much everybody knows what the game plan is, you know, how to, how to set up and what we do. Usually we just, we have the cameraman quartering behind the shooters a little bit most of the time and then one shooter one way and one shooter the other way one shooter definitely is downwind just because but most of the time you know as a as a i don't even want to stay skilled just a you know a a hunter that's well versed a hunter that's got a lot of experience knows what a coyote's going to do to the call when they come in most of the time they're going to circle that's just what that's that's their it's just their natural. Yeah, exactly. That's what they've been evolved to do. And it's, it's just their instinct. So 
with that instinct, you know, we counter it. We set a guy downwind because we know that a coyote's going to come, whether he comes from the upwind side, more than likely he's eventually going to circle downwind, but it's, it's not rocket science. It's not like we have some kind of super secret squirrel shit going on where, Hey, you know, we set up a certain, you're, you're seeing what we want you to see. You know, you're not seeing, you're not seeing all of the freaking 10 or 15 miles of shit that we put in that doesn't get any footage at all. Yeah, absolutely. You get to see the fun part. Exactly, man. Otherwise it wouldn't be entertaining. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, one thing I enjoyed on the, the video from the other day was just uh, you guys are really putting an emphasis on that was you guys, right? The one with the elk. Oh, yeah. 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 The last video that I did right before Christmas, the yeah. a, a double. Yep. Yep. I, that was uh, I love that one because I think a lot of people don't take into account, you know, going and blowing out deer and 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 in your case, elk. But I mean, just blowing big groups of animals out that just alert everything that you're there. Um, I think that's something that's to be taken for granted by a lot of people. Oh yeah, man. So we get a ton of, of negative feedback regarding the BS session at the end of our hunts, because everybody's like, Oh, they, you know, they make a laughing face, T- two minutes of hunting and eight minutes of talking. And I'm like, dude, that's what a hunt is. It's, it's yeah. for, to a lot of people, it's a lifetime of prep to a bit. If you're trying to do a super slam dude or some shit like that, or, you know, a grand slam, if you're going on a sheep hunt and it's a once in a lifetime hunt or a mountain lion hunt, yeah, it's, it's years of preparation, whether it's saving money or it's physical training, or it's getting your skill set down so that you can shoot with an increased heart rate or whatever it is that you have to, that you have to hone your skills to do for one millisecond of a trigger pull, then your hunt's done. It's and so that's what we try to take the time and break it down. It's not that we're bragging about ourselves doing this and that. It's just going, hey, this is the rundown. This is how we did it. And the guys that are there to learn will listen. The guys that are there just for once again, the morbid infatuation of the kill shots, skip through the shit, you know, just watch the kills and be done. It's that's it. But back, but to your point, you know, like we said, we do get a lot of guys that that get upset at that, but at the, at the BS session at the end, just because, but the particular topic that you're talking about, the way that I look at it is we're humans. We're, we're, we're not natural. We are, but we're not, you know, we walk on two feet. Most of the animals that you're going into hunt are four. you know, they're walking on yep. four legs. So as soon as you walk into a set, you're disrupt, you're, you're automatically disrupting nature, right? You're creating waves in a smooth pond. And my goal is to get in there and not create waves. And if we do somehow at least sit there and let those ripples tone down to where it's glass again, so that everything goes back to, sometimes it's unavoidable. You can't do it. You know, like this year, my brother and I, we walked into a set where it's a hundred percent, dude, hundred percent kill every single time. And we, I mean, granted it's been about five years in a row. So we're batting a hundred, we're batting a thousand going into this set. And we walk in, weather was bad. It wasn't bad. It was just, it was a lot of snow and all these deer were down in a little hole, right? Where we were going to call. And as soon as we popped up, there was no getting around spooking those deer. I mean, we could get in maybe unseen, but as soon as we hit that call, those deer were up and scattered and it, that, that ruined, that will ruin a set right now. 
So that's how I look at it. Those elk were right there. We got in, they stayed bedded the whole time. If you guys haven't seen the video, they actually get up and that's after the set was made. Well, because they were standing there, I didn't bother recording them while they were laying there, but that's how I look at it. You know, you're going into, you're disrupting nature when you, when we walk in and our goal is to keep those waves at a minimum. And if we do create waves, a lot of times we'll just sit there and let things chill out for a half an hour before we even start our thing. And most guys just don't, aren't, they're not that meticulous. They're like, sometimes I'm not, sometimes we get into a set and that happens. And I'm like, you know what, this, I'm not feeling the vibes here. I'm not, I don't feel this spot. Let's get the hell out of here. And we won't educate anything, whether I think it's something watching us from a half a mile away, or those deer took off a way that I didn't like that the way that they ran, they might've spooked something out of the next draw. We'll just get up back out, leave and hit it another time. So it, you know, you, you, you know how it goes. Yeah, that's huge. And I think that's one thing that I've always like tried. I just, I try not to be over like over hammer it to people, but like, I just don't, I just straight up just don't go to a spot if it's not right. Like, I don't care if it's your favorite spot. I don't care if it's, you really wanted to go there that day, but like, if it's just not right, you just can't go because that's how you, that's how you ruin your spot. Yep. You do. You wreck it. You, and, and it's hard to fix it. You know, it's hard to, to go back and kill that coyote that lives in that territory. Once you've educated them, you have to, you have to take a completely different approach then whether it's a completely 180 degree different angle with a different wind and a different sound, or it's setting structuring up some kind of a kill box where you can bait them and kill them or trap them or run yep. them down lots of different ways. But then once you clean that educated animal out of there, you know, usually you, you, that you can get something in there. That's kind of a novice, something yeah. new, something yeah. looking around. So yeah. I, I love the one. I get this a lot. Like people will be like, Oh, you, you just kill a lot of coyotes cause you're, cause your spots are good. And I'm like, well, yeah, of course I have good spots, but I take care of my good spots and they yeah. remain good. You you have a good spot that you call every twice every weekend. So it's not a good spot anymore. You know, it's just, it, you know. it's, it's just like that. You, we, we've learned to, there's so many naysayers out there and I don't like to live on, the the critics aspect you know you can't screw the critics man we have some guy on a forum that just is out for what i do because you know you're, you're a rancher and he's like well you were you know you didn't have to earn anything that you did you were just born into the ranch and you can have access to all of this stuff and you have to do all this and this and i'm like whatever man there's no getting through to how you are i mean Right. It's not like you know, a guy never put it, you know, I've been working here my whole life. The whole goal is to extend it and, and pass it to the next generation. And, you know, people just, there's, there's just people that, yeah. and it goes yeah. right in line with what you're saying, how, oh, you just have all these extra spots to hunt, man. Even if you did have all the extra spots that we have to hunt, are you going to be meticulous enough to be able to do what we're doing? I mean, here, here's a perfect example. Um, I'm slowly gaining more access by like, when I say access, I'm saying exclusive hunting rights for predators by, by talking to landowners that, you know, when I work with them, some guys, I plant corn for them. Some guys, you know, help them move cows. Some guys are just bordering ranches to ours. And I make a point to tell them, Hey, if you only let us hunt coyotes on your ground, if you ever have a problem, with with uh predators during calving we will be over there right now 
right now we'll be over there. We'll sit up, you know, we'll post up, we'll kill the coyotes that are causing the problems and we'll take care of you. And that is a pretty big commitment because you never know when that's going to happen. Some guys are fall calvers. Some guys calve in February, some guys calve in April, some guys calve in May. And I might not want to go out, but if I want to have access to that ground, like I agreed to with them, then I sure as hell better play my part, you know, and I better come through. So there's a lot of ways to go about it to gain access. And instead of the guys just taking the easy route and going, Oh, well, dude, you have all this access to this. That's why you get to do it. We'll find a way, make a way, man. That's what my college coach told me. If you, if you want to do it, you can, if take your weekends off of going to the bar and go out and help a rancher fix fence, help a older 60 year old fella, dude, run a grain cart and say, you know, would you give me right to hunt? If you want to find a way to do it, do it. You know, it's just, it's, you know, just shut your mouth and go do some work and you'll be able to have access some way. Yeah. It's funny. It's funny you say that. Cause like one thing your high school coach, you know, said to you, one thing mine always said to me was if it's important to you, you'll find a way. And if it isn't, you'll find an excuse. And I mean, that's exactly, more true in this, uh, in this sense. That's a good one. That's a good one. I haven't heard that, but I've, you know, but that's a good one. Yep. That's perfect. I'd like to take a quick second to talk to you guys about Dark Knight Outdoors. As you guys know, Dark Knight Outdoors is partnering with me this year for the podcast, and I couldn't be luckier to have them join me. Just a couple of the things that drew me to Dark Knight Outdoors, uh, they will match match pricing. They don't have any sales tax outside of Illinois, and quick and free shipping, no credit card fees, and you get a free external battery pack with a quality mount to come with your purchase and not to mention if you use code predator podcast 23 at checkout on a thermal optic you're going to save $50 so you're basically going to be able to price match uh, to the best price you are able to find and then save $50 uh, on top of that also if you're in the market for accessories uh, he Jamie has so many different accessories down there dark night outdoors can also use the code PPACC23. So that's PPACC23 to save 25% off all accessories. So go down to the show description and look at Dark Knight Outdoors website and you'll not be disappointed. Um so obviously you're a rancher, you're you uh you ranch by trade. Um, and obviously you have this obsession with guns and, and coyote hunting, but in, in a sense, coyote hunting is, is a necessity to protect your, your cows and your, your, your herd and, and things like that. But one thing that I um, really enjoy listening to James and his crew is the way that they just hunt with precision and they shoot with precision and they're aiming for a hair on a coyote. They're not aiming for a coyote or they're, you know, but between the eyes, whatever it may be. I mean, you won't hardly see a coyote on their page that, that on their YouTube that runs off. I mean, they just hit the ground and <clears throat> I listened to your one podcast. Like I said, you guys, if you, you got to go listen to his podcast cause he does deep dives into crazy detail of some topics that, I, that if you want to learn more about, you got to do it. But 
I've, I think I've listened to one like three times just cause I want to just get more from it. And, you know, I just have hard time catching all of the information at once, but just like, tell me what, what that means to you and, and why you hunt with such precision and, and how that can change the game for you. First of all, dude, because if I ever get shot, I want somebody to be as meticulous as me shooting at me so that I freaking go to sleep and don't wake out, wake up with my guts hanging out. That's Absolutely. how, I mean, we, everybody's like, well, what, who cares? A coyote's a coyote. And I'm not going to get all on the ethical freaking whatever type of deal. It's just my mindset. All right. To me, it's my job as a rancher. When I do like this storm that came through, right. We had a bad nasty shit. I've never seen before 50 mile an hour winds with 30 below yep. temps unreal eight seventy below wind chill factors just shit that's hell that's hell on 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 animals any animal whether it's domesticated or wild it's hell on them and when i get done feeding and i see a calf that doesn't come up to the bunk and i know damn well he's sick my job is to go doctor that calf that's what my job is to do and take care of him because it's like a kid you know you're like shit if your kid's sick, what are you going to do, man? Just let him suffer. You're going to let him just freaking burn up with a fever. You go, you go do your job and take care of it. When you're a hunter, it's your job to do that. I mean, I'm particular shit with who I hunt with and how we hunt, dude, even with our day rigs and we've got loophole Mark four rings or badge ordinance rings or night force titanium cantilever whatever we're running on our optics torque to spec a five thousand dollar custom rifle that shoots better than we ever will you sure as hell better know how to use that in my book and everybody's like well a coyote's a coyote that's the difference i i mean yeah it is and some guys will burn them down any way they can and not give a shit to, to each his own that's just not how i do it i'm not gonna go talk down on you for doing that but don't come talk down to me for doing it how I do. It's just my mindset. Um, it, it, it's like I said, it goes back to if you're a hunter, if you're an outdoorsman, the way I look at it is it's your job to make the most precise, clean kill that you possibly can. And, you know, you you're not going to get away from the fact that you're never going to please everyone. And that's not our goal. Like I said, I'm not here to please critics who gives it. I mean, I'll cater to them sometimes if they're literally stupid, if they don't understand what we're doing and I can help them, or I shouldn't say stupid if they're ignorant, like I said, I'll cater to some of the ignorant people, but the people that are just literally to put it in, you know, the old school Rush Limbaugh terms, if you're stuck on stupid, you're, you're just, you, that's what you are. You're stuck on stupid. You're not going to change your ways. You're not going to change your mind about how you look at the world. And that's what we're dealing with, with most of the people that have issues with what we do, but it's, it's just one of those things where I'm, I'm particular about it. I, I enjoy building rifles that are really accurate. I enjoy taking the time to reload and capitalize, optimize what those systems are capable of doing. And then it's my job at the end to follow through with that, you know, to actually acquire the skill set to be able to, to make that shot. And it's not, you know, I, I 
and it's so much more than just the precision marksmanship or the precision equipment that we use. There's also the skill set of of working a coyote into a distance. You know, we we get guys yep. that are like, oh, dude, you guys are building these five thousand dollar rifles, and you're not even doing running shots. I'm like, why in the why in the hell do I want to do a running shot when my goal is to get that animal into a kill lane, make him stand still, and then make a freaking surgical scar right between his eyes. You know, that's yeah. my goal. My goal is to fool the most astute animal on this earth and then follow through with it. So it's just, everybody's different. You know, you have contest callers and I've said some shit about them. We've done it before, you know, guys that run in and that's not us. We're not going to run into a set and blow shit out and, and rip on it and educate, you know, coyotes that we never see, but there's guys that do it and they have fun doing it. And by all means, hammer down. There's just, it's kind of, it's actually entertaining and, fun for me to interact and and just talk to guys that do it from all different ways you know guys that fly guys that trap guys that that do contests guys that film it's that's the beauty of it man if as as long as as all of us you know have a basic understanding of what each one is out to do and we all get along to an extent we've got a lot bigger problems to deal with you know right than guys bitching about headshots or, you know, perfect shots or $5,000 rifles versus $800 rifles, you know, yep. get out there and have fun. But, you know, yeah. I, I, that, that, I, that's just my take. I, I just, I look at it a little bit different coming from the ranch lifestyle. Like I said, you know, an animal to me is an animal and dude, here's a funny thing. I, I'll take fucking a spider that's in the house as long as it's not like a blackwood or something let that little bastard go outside you know little things like that that might sound stupid as shit but not just some cold-blooded killer this goes on murder shit for no reason right don't get me wrong it's fun coyote hunt's fun otherwise we wouldn't do it but it also plays a part in so many more things yeah absolutely um so if when you when you talk about like making this precision shot one thing that I don't think people understand is, okay, they go out there, you know, okay. So people around here, right. Where I'm at in Wisconsin, it's, you got deer hunters and you know, you got a few coyote hunters, you know, but everyone's kind of like that. But majority of your people got that are your deer hunter that go out, they, you know, they shoot their gun at a hundred yards. It might be two inches, you know, left and, you know, two inches high. And they might say, Oh, good enough. You know, that'll get me a coyote. So can you just kind of talk about what difference does that really make when you're talking two, three, four hundred yards, a difference that makes in, you know, just, just being accurate and what that means to break it, to to break it down, like to freaking really break it down. Yeah. I know I heard you talk about it on another podcast of yours and that really struck home with me. Um, and I, I love that where you talk about like, uh, I can't say for sure, but you talked about like, okay, if you're off, if you're one MOA off at hundred yards, you're, you know, however many MOA off at 300. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So like what, what, where that comes into play is where we are out in the middle of nowhere, we have the accessibility to shoot as far as we want. I mean, if we had, 
if I had a, a, a designated extreme long range rifle, uh, we could go 3000 yards, you know, if, if, and we could do it, it just depends on how many times we want to shoot to, to make a hit. You know, I mean, yeah, I think yeah. it took me the first time at 2000 yards, 15 rounds with my 338 Norma to make a hit at 2020 yards. Well, John just outdid me with that desert tech video we posted on YouTube at 2200 and some yards, but it took him like 20 some shots to do it. And of course right. we're not showing all those 20 shots, but here's, here's how you get the, the detailed or the meticulous factor on that, because any little air from the shooter at that distance is a larger, a, a so much greater air when that round impacts on target or around the target. So you, you flinch, you pull the trigger, you push the trigger, you don't load the bipod, any little thing that you don't do right as a shooter, you're not going to do unless you're, you're lucky. You know, there's always times where you get lucky in the wind freaking swirls or blows your, you know, certain things like that. But from the perspective that I take, that's, that's kind of how it all started. You know, you realize, well, dude, we can shoot 1200 yards. And I, I, I had such a fun time right out of high school with 308s, 175 green uh, Sierra match Kings out of my 308 that were just a, 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 not a good round for long range. I mean, you're looking at, it, it took me 40 some minutes of elevation when I was using MOA with my Armalite Super Sass versus like a 260 Remington, you're at like 33 to 35, almost 10 minutes difference at a thousand yards. I mean, you're talking one MOA is 10 inches at a thousand yards. So, you know, do the math. It's, it's such a more efficient round, a 6.5. But anyway, the, it, it taught me to, and I'm not going to freaking play some shit that I'm not, but it taught me a lot about wind with that 175 because I was holding crazy amounts, four mil sometimes in certain wind and just watching that round just arc and push right into the target. And a lot of that made me real interested in it. I'm not going to say I'm a, you know, like some long range super sniper. It's fun. We do it. We have, it's, it's a skill set that we've acquired because of the opportunities we're blessed with because of the areas out here that we're blessed with to be able to use to, to acquire that skill set, And that plays a huge part in why I design the, the custom rifles that I do, because I look at it that way, how much, how many little minor imperfections cause huge, massive issues downrange. And what you're talking about is like the 250, right? So we do everything custom. We pick the twist of the barrel, the concept yep. of the barrel, the length of the barrel, all the way down to the action to the stock. And then we develop the loads to optimize it, like I said earlier, so that when we're on paper at 100 yards, what my goal is, is like a bench rest group, not accuracy, but precision. So accuracy might be hitting around a bullseye. Precision is shooting all in the same hole. So when I'm zero in a rifle, for example, I'm working up a load. Uh, I'll shoot at 110 yards, 100 meters. And our goal is to be half MOA. If we get a rifle just to automatically shoot half MOA, we just let it be. We're good. So a half MOA at 100 yards is, is a half of an inch. 
that's that's good yep. dude i mean that's you know that's b- b- above average than most guys most guys are like an moa and they're happy with it an inch group at 100 yards are happy but i really strive for quarter moa which is substantially better and tougher because there's so many little variables that go into play there as well as you know your shooting position mirage all sorts of things even at 100 yards yep. so once we get to that point where we can you know, half MOA is good. If we can't get a shoot any better, we just let it be. That's a hell of a shooting rifle, man. A hell of a good shooting rifle. But once we get those rifles to shoot quarter MOA, which most of them do, um, you're talking like a one hole group. Then the way that I look at that and put it into perspective for guys is say you have a coyote at a hundred yards and your rifle shoots quarter MOA. That's a quarter inch group. Now extend that distance out to 400 yards and say your rifle still holds quarter MOA. That's a one inch group. Now you take a, you know, t- take a, a, in layman's terms, just a, 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 an MOA rifle that shoots a, a one inch group at hundred yards and do the same thing. Extend that range to 400 yards. One MOA at 400 yards is four inches. Now that's what your rifles capabilities are, quote unquote, right? That's what your rifles, you have one guy that's got an MOA rifle and the other guy that's got a quarter MOA rifle. Now you introduce shooters capabilities because everybody's all like, oh, well, dude, I'm so freaking in tune with my rifle. I, I don't need to have that. I can do this. I can do that. Well, fine, dude. I, I'm not saying that you can't, but there's certain circumstances that you can't control. Um, maybe you're shooting and all of a sudden your bipod moves a skosh. Maybe you're freaking for some odd reason, just ripped out, dude, you know, you're cranked, your adrenaline's going, you can't settle yourself down and you have a little bit of movement in your crosshairs. When you shoot, maybe there's a mirage going on or a wind going on that you can't really control at the time you need to pull the trigger, then add in another MOA at, I mean, or at least a half. Let's just say it an MOA just for because it's easier to do math. Now the guy, yeah. four inch group with a with the traditional rifle or your MOA rifle, I should say, is open up to eight inches, which is fuck, dude. I mean, you're looking at you know you're 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 looking at an air ball or a gut shot or a, maybe a lucky yeah. headshot. Who knows? Yep. Versus the guy that's shooting a quarter. I mean, you're still under an inch group at that distance, and that's. Yeah just you to put it into perspective um or an inch group you know right in there with that that is just something that if it's not only going to make you as a shooter more content with knowing i mean it's almost confidence it's a confidence builder knowing how well your rifle can shoot but that's how i look at it absolutely it is and then also you know, you have to, I mean, there, there's, there's more things, you know, like that you can do to, to make yourself a better shooter, obviously, but there's, there, there's a lot of things that we look at that guys are like, well, it's just a coyote. I mean, yeah, but it, it, it's whatever, you know, I, I, maybe part of my hobby is making my equipment perform unlike anybody else's, you know, maybe that's yeah. part of what I like to do. And maybe it's just what I think I should do as a hunter, as an outdoorsman, as somebody that's going to send a round that's never going to be able to be brought back to that barrel. That you shoot that round and it's freaking gone forever. Whatever you're killing is dead. It's gone. And whatever's, you know, it's just something that 
that I like to take into consideration. You know, even, you know, I know I'm not a, one of those guys that shoots pigs. That's kind of maybe a little bit different deal, obviously, because yeah, it's like freaking, I don't even know. It's like flies on crap versus yep. one, one bug out of, a, you know, 10,000, you know, coyotes out here. There's just, there's not like the numbers. They're not doing the damage like that. Mow them down. However you can, there's certain things you got to kind of go. All right, dude, it makes sense to do what you're doing, but for this application, it doesn't make sense. So, you know, you, most guys can figure that out, but some guys you kind of have to explain stuff to. Yep. Yeah. Well, think, think about it from this light, take the hair off of a coyote, stand them out there. Uh, and he's facing you you're shooting if you're shooting for vitals i mean you're talking like a four to six inch you know circle you know so you talk about your rifle being being one moa and then you go and try to shoot at him at 400 yards i mean realistically you're lucky to hit him exactly yeah and and certain things just play a part at 400 yards like we're running a lot of v maxes that are not necessarily high bc they don't i mean they don't they're not an efficient bullet when they cut through the wind they have they have a lot of drag they have you know just because they're so light it's just how they are it's just you're not getting around it shooting a light bullet like that there's no compromises wind you know a 15 mile an hour wind might drift that bullet six inches might drift it 12 inches depending on the distance you're shooting um but then you know the, the the whole that whole concept comes back to I, my goal is to get that coyote as close as we can. I mean, I want to see, my goal is to see pupils on, on, on video, but when we can't, we want to have the capability to do what needs to be done. Because a lot of times when we get into ranchers, you know, other guys that's ground and we're filming on them just because a coyote might stop at 400 yards or 300 yards or 200 yards. And it's not giving me the shot I want on video doesn't mean that that rancher is going to be real happy if we let him walk, you know? So we design them to perform a lot further than what we're normally taking kill shots at just because we know what needs to be done for a lot of these guys. You know, if it's on our ground and we know we're not going to completely wreck anything, we'll let a lot of them slide, maybe get some way cooler thermal footage or something like that. Yeah, for sure. So you kind of started to mention your bullet and stuff there kind of run us through what's your what's your setup that you let's say your day rig um you're that you're taking out on, on a stand what is your day rig look like you like do you want me to go through just the build components of the rifle or like what i what how i what yeah. my reloads are and stuff build component and just maybe like just your your round and and the bullet that you shoot so the right now I'm always, I've got a lot of different, a, a, a lot of different rifles that I've got. I've got like four or five custom 22 to 50 bolt actions. And my, the one that I really like was the motto from Chad, the initial custom build that we did with him quite a while ago. That's just, a, I mean, it's a 22 to 50 with the manners T5A that if you guys aren't familiar with that, are you familiar with manner stocks? Man, man, are you have you heard of those just, guys i've just seen them like through just through okay. your stuff i've looked at it but that's about it so what i really like about those is kind of a base setup is having the capabilities of an adjustable cheek weld 
because that allows you a yep. lot of leeway in your optic. You know, you can do a lot of different things. It's just, it's just a comfort and the more comfortable you are behind the rifle, the better you're going to perform your natural point of aim. All you guys that read up on that shit, get behind the rifle, settle your head down behind, close your eyes, open them. Boom. You should be able to see right through your optic. It's good. And being able to have an adjustable cheek weld will give you that. It's just so many more adjustments that you can make to, to once again, to not total resort, optimize your setup. So manners has come a long way. I really like their stuff. I've got a couple rifles, man, without going into crazy ass detail gun works. We work with them. I really like the verdict stock that they came out with. It's also got an adjustable cheek weld, um, adjustable comb height, but <clears throat> I really like manners, dude. And they're coming a long way with like, they call them the elite series where they're carbon shelling them and, and making them lighter. And they also yeah, have yeah. the mini, the mini chassis now. So what that does is that eliminates, uh, having to have a gunsmith bed, your rifle bed, your barreled action. Um, sorry, somebody's trying to call me, but, uh, the, the, the base is like, I, like, I like to start with the stock, the adjust, the adjustability of it so that I know I can make my rifle feel good to me. However, I'm going to use it And most of my stocks are manners. I've got the PRS ones. I've got the T4 folder. I've got the T5A. I, I like those stocks, dude, with the mini chassis, you really can't go wrong because they're mag fed. You can run AI mags. And there's a lot of other, you know, different mags that you can use in those also now. But um, I start with that. And then actions, there's so many different options. Like, for example, on my big horn, on my motto, I've got the the big horn arms, the older S or uh, TL2. Anyway, without there's there's I'll custom actions on most all my rigs. And, um, I like the, the big horn arms origin actions. We've got them on a couple of our new ones. And then I'm, I've got a lot of different barrels that I've used on those rifles too, man. Like anything from without, I'm not even going to rattle them off, but stainless steel barrels with the heavier contour are what I like. Like the gunworks one that I've got, it's a verdict stock with the gunworks custom action. And then it's got a rock Creek M24 contoured barrel, which is a heavy profile barrel. I mean, you're looking at you're looking at like an inch taper down to the muzzle and it's a 18 inch barrel. So it's a heavy, fat, aggressive looking rifle. I like that look. And the way that I, the reason that I kind of go into that is yep. because if you have a heavier barrel that's shorter, if you look at the physics, generally it's going to be more rigid, especially when you look at the concept of hanging a weight off the end, that's a suppressor. And we find that, yep that usually with those setups there's minimal to no shift point of impact shift within without the suppressor right so you, which to me it doesn't matter i'm going to put the can on i'm going to zero it and that's it i'm going to leave it like that but a lot of guys are so particular about shit when i put the suppressor on my rifle that suppressor is going to be mated to that rifle and it's going to stay there so the, then, you know, we look at the twist rate, what we want to do, how we want to optimize the system. If we want to have a faster twist rate to run, to have the capability of running heavier bullets, because, you know, with a faster twist, it allows you to run heavier bullets to stabilize them with generally, you know, like a standard yep. 22, 22, 250 from the factory, you're looking at a 14 twist. That's just kind of the standard to shoot 40, 50, maybe 60 grain bullets fast. 
you know, those guys, that's just, that's how they are. Nothing against those, but we've had really good luck with eight twist barrels that are cut to 18 to 22 inches, heavier contoured and not over rotating the 50 grain V maxes or the jacketed bullets to cause any kind of abnormal flight. And, you know, there's like a formula. I think it's somewhere around 325,000 RPMs is when your jacket starts flying off. And we're at, I did the calculations, we're at like 315,000 with our, and we're still getting mid 3000 feet per second with the 50 grain V max being pushed with 35 grains of Vargate. So that's pretty good, man. I mean, there's some guys that go, oh, you're not getting a whole much more performance than you are out of a 223 at that point. Well, you are because we're still getting, you know, at least a couple hundred feet per second faster, which if you do the math, the hydrostatic shocks there, any extra foot pounds of energy that's transferred to your target is going to be better, no matter what, no matter whether it's 50 or 100 or 200. And I don't think that we're giving up a whole lot by running the 250 with that short barrel. They work really well for us. Well, and it's, it's, and the thing is, is if you do it enough, dude, like we could have probably ran ARs for everything that we're doing and just done straight headshots for the past 10 years. Yeah. And you know, you could have created some kind of a cult where, oh, well, these guys are just running ARs and doing headshots. It just, it depends on how you want to do things and structure things. It's, I like the 22250. We've ran the numbers. We're getting more energy. We're getting more foot pounds over a 22 or over a 223. And we're able to configure the system in a short, ergonomic, very maneuverable platform with the suppressor attached, you know? Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, I uh, I completely agree with you. I shoot the 50 grain VMAX out of 2250, have been for years. And uh, yeah, I love it too. So I'm with you. And if any of you guys know Hornady, man, uh, anybody at Hornady, I'd love to hook up because we're, we've been running th- those 50 grain VMAXs the way that like, if you even want to take it a step further, what I've done is found a really good recipe. So for example, dude, I've got the desert tech right beside me here to my left and I've got a 250 barrel for it. Um, I've got another 250 up at the top that I built with Chad. That's got their new elite hunter stock with a mini chassis. And it's got the origin action with, uh, uh, Ken Johnson, K and P barrel. He's up in the black Hills and it's cut down to 20 inches. And it's like this heavy varmint contour and it's fluted. So it's a wicked looking little rifle. And then I've got the motto. And then I've got that gunworks uh, verdict that I was telling you with the, the rock Creek barrel, all any and then oh and then i've got my night rig that i call it's got the the uh the manners prs1 which is a elite prs1 so it's got the carbon shell um i've got an area 419 rifle four in length arc rail on the bottom so it goes all the way up to the four end so i you know i can run tripod however i want at night and then it's got a hardy rifle engineering carbon yep. fiber barrel and um it's just got a remington 700 action but it's basically a custom action because i had chad at lri rework everything he did everything to that thing he chewed up the lugs bolt face all sorts of shit put 840s in the top for the for the um the screw holes for the scope base you know he's just it's really it's an upgraded it's it's when he got done with it instead of being a 400 action it's now like a thousand dollar action 
in every one of the, here's yep. what I'm getting yep. at. So yeah, five different rifles, right? Five different rifles on five different configurations, pretty much five different manufacturers, five different actions, five different barrels. But I've developed a load that shoots like quarter MOA out of each one of those rifles. And it's the same load. It's, it's a uh, 50 grain VMAX, 35 grains of Vargate. I can take the desert tech, shoot that load out of it at hundred yards. Crazy accurate, cr- crazy precise. I should say. Um, same thing with the gunworks verdict. I've shot the freaking or the gunworks, uh, the, the, we call that the Marauder. That's what we developed with them. That is probably, I've got, well, the gunworks or the desert tech might have the record now for my best three shot group, but every single one of those rifles will shoot quarter MOA with that same load. So now what that's done is it's allowed me to, it's a, it's like a, a force multiplier there. I have five custom rifles where I don't have to look back in my books and go, all right, shit. I've got to redo this load because I'm shooting this gun and I've got to dump this powder charge, or I've got to do this seating depth, or I have to do this neck tension. I've just eliminated, and it's hard to do, man. I mean, you just don't do it. You have to go through different barrels. You have to go through different rifles and you get to the point where, all right, here's the happy medium barrel length. Here's the standard twist rate that we're using now. And here's our, our, here's the fellow that chambers them, or if it's chambered to this spec. And then we load our rounds with a certain primer, certain overall length to the ogive or to the, from the ogive to the to the lands, and I can throw that specific load in any rifle, and they'll shoot. So it's I don't have to carry a certain load with a certain rifle. You know how how awesome yeah, is that? Right. I mean, most yeah, guys you don't got to worry about mixing up your ammo and exactly, exactly. And, and when I get a load a bunch of it too. Exactly. When I, so I reload, what I do when I reload now is I just, I, I, uh, full length size, I barely bump the shoulder on all of them. And then I anneal and it's just, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's, it's awesome to have that problem. You know, it's awesome to be able to have one load for five rifles. That's freaking huge, man. Absolutely. That definitely streamlines the process and makes it easier on you. Yeah, that's the main that's the main thing. It's so when I get in the truck with my night rig, I don't have to swap freaking go swap cases of ammo for the one that's marked night rig, you know? For sure. Um, so you kind of mentioned um that you about the suppressors there a little bit, and that's another thing that I kinda wanted to touch on. You know, just kind of give us a rough overview when guys want to go buy a suppressor. You know, what, what do they need to look for? Um, if, if you have some do's and don'ts, kind of run us through that process of how you're going to direct someone into a suppressor. Okay. Um, first of all, dude, I'll tell guys this first, because when we got into it, that's kind of what was our initial, um, I would say kind of, that's where we kind of got to be a step ahead of the curve. Because at the time I was a suppressor dealer and no, and I don't want to say nobody else out there, but there just wasn't guys out there running suppressors on video, killing coyotes. And to me, you know, as soon as I got out of college and I got my SOT, I'm like, dude, I I was always infatuated with that stuff, man. Always. I just didn't know how to do it. And I had to figure it out myself because I went to a gun to a class three dealer and he just gives me blank papers and said, go fill this shit out and come back. So I did. And dude, at the time it took 
28 days for my form four to go through 28 <laughs> days. Now it's taken fucking 28 months, you know, but yeah, right. So right. the thing the the, the way that I look at a suppressor as a tool at the time, a lot of guys thought it was cool aesthetically, tactically, but to me, it was a tool. And a lot of guys online are going, well, local guys even saying shit. And you're just like, dude, come on. Well, we called in four coyotes and we shot one. And then the other ones just ran at us because they didn't. Most of the time when you get into a situation like that, they're a bunch of uneducated, stupid ass pups that you could have shot at them with a Remington ultra mag without it, with a break on. And they wouldn't have done anything anyway. Most of the time. Like those ones right. on that ice, dude. I mean, sure, that suppressor helped a lot. It it don't don't kid yourself. It masked our location. It made the report so much quieter because the distance of the bullet flight was so short that it, the sonic crack didn't carry. But the primary factor, the primary learning experience that you can get from us regarding suppressors isn't because you're going to go into a set and be freaking Navy SEAL, freaking SEAL Team 6, sniping coyotes down and more are going to be running in at you. Are you going to shoot and miss one? And the other one is going to stand there and watch it go down again. It's It allows you to make twice as many sets in the same area as you would without it, right? So it's it's this is the best analogy that I've told guys. It's like the skunk analogy that Nick Munt told me. Nick Munt's a bone collector, dude. He came out and hunted elk here like 15 <laughs> yep. years 15 years ago, we're like, dude, is that spray on shit work, dude? Why the hell do you put that stuff on? You know, that scent masking spray. He's like, yep. he's like, yeah, it does, but here's how it works. And I stole this analogy from him to use for suppressors. He's like, if there's a skunk underneath your front doorstep, you're going to know there's a skunk underneath your front doorstep. You're probably not going to go out there. You're going to be like, what the hell, dude? I don't want to get sprayed. Well, if there's a skunk and you catch a faint drift of it, a faint scent from a mile away from somebody smoking it on the highway or half a mile away, you can tell like, all right, dude, that's skunk somewhere long ways away, but it's not going to prohibit you from, you know, or eliminate you from going out and doing your thing. Not like the one underneath your deck, you know, you're going to be like, screw that shit. Well, the same concept applies to sound, to noise. If a coyote hears something, any animal, dude, any animal for that matter, not just a coyote, if, if any animal, but you can, you can specifically relate it to a dog because dogs learn, you know, you can teach them things. You shoot at a coyote, he's going to learn that don't go that place that, you know, he's, he's going to know if a vehicle stops, he's going to be running. What happens is if you don't have a suppressor, the sound report carries further, it's louder and, and it's going to just make that coyote that's a quarter of a mile away think, Hey, that's, that's a danger. I'm within danger of what that, whatever the hell that was that made that noise. And I'm going to leave a suppressor might take that report down by a third or by two thirds, whatever, you know, depending on the, the variables, the wind, the snow, how muffled it is. And they may still be content that coyote. That's a quarter of a mile away over that next Ridge might be like, Oh, well, I heard that, but it, it, it was a long ways away. I, you know, it, it's not alarming enough for me to move out of the area. So that allows you, that's a huge tool for me. And then also communication. You know, if you take a kid or even your team guys that go in with you, your, your, your partners that you're hunting with, you don't have to worry about blazing glory and having your ears ring and not being able to talk to guys. There's just so many benefits to a suppressor other than, you know, the, the, the BS that you have to do with a paperwork, but that's, that's the first thing that I like to explain to guys. It's not, 
it's not an assassin tool. It is an assassin tool, but it's not what you think it's going to be calling two coyotes, shoot one. The other one just stands there. Most of the time you're into some educated coyotes at that point. Um, regarding the steps, dude, like, like basic rundown of a suppressor, do your research. What I see in the industry and it's the same thing with thermal is it's guys get so stuck on name brands. They get so stuck on marketing, which is fine, dude. If marketing didn't work, it wouldn't, you wouldn't have it. That's, that's awesome. I see guys doing phenomenal work regarding marketing. It's awesome. I love to see that everybody comes out with something new, something cool. And, and that's what the latest, greatest, that's what guys have to have. That's what makes the the whole industry work. Right. Otherwise it would just stop. But the way that I look at, um, the, the suppressor deal is do your research because there's a lot of different things that, that, I mean, I could tell you stories, but I mean, you have machined baffle stacks or cast baffle stacks, welded baffle stacks versus a monocore, a monolithic core. You have titanium versus stainless steel. You have inch and a half outside diameter versus inch 1.75 outside diameter. You have, you know, quick detach versus direct thread. There's so many things that go into what you can use to capitalize on your situation. Say you have, say you're a freaking pig hunter down in Texas, or say you're an AR guy, right? You just, you like to have ARs and you, you like to go, um, shoot. You just, maybe you just like to shoot, dude. You like to do a lot of training. Maybe the best route for you to go would be a surefire or an AAC or some kind of a brake attached suppressor so that you can run the same brake or a similar brake with the same mounting structure on two or three different ARs. And you can just interchange that suppressor within seconds between all three of them, right? You've got the threads protected, but you still have a functional rifle with a brake or with a, with a, a flash suppressor. And you can just wrap that suppressor on any one of those rifles at any given time. Done, done, done. Maybe you're doing what we're doing where I have that set up also like that, or you're doing what we're doing where I know when I build a precision rifle, I don't want to have that middle ground. I don't want to have any kind of extra attachment. I don't want to have any extra problems to go wrong at the end of my rifle. Like for example, you know, we've seen a ton of different suppressor mounting hardware. stuff. you know, I've got seen ones with ball bearings, they, they ratchet and the ball bearings get pushed out and lock into place. The seen ones with teeth, you know, that's the, the AAC design with the teeth you see just brake attached where you can thread them on. It's just a little, really coarse thread. So it takes like one or two revs and it, and it threads onto place. There's there, surefires design, lots of different things that you can get into where for me personally, on my precision killing rifle, I don't want any of that. I want direct thread suppressor that I know my gunsmith made that shoulder freaking square to the world, but more than square to the world. And that that suppressor, the thread on portion, the threaded cap is going to shoulder right up to that perfectly. And I torque it down by hand and there it stays forever. It's, I mean, well, you know, most more than likely. So that rifle has, I've eliminated any return to zero, any problems with that suppressor, you know, having gunk or debris or anything in the 
And that's just my personal thought. It, it Most of the time, these manufacturers nowadays, man, or it's insane. The tolerances that they manufacture stuff to, you're not going to have issues, but I don't need to have a brake attached suppressor on my Kyle rig. I don't need to have a flash suppressor on the end of my Kyle rig. I, on my bolt gun, it's made for one purpose and I'm never going to take that can off. I thread it on and there it stays. So that's the reason behind that. Like I said, if I'm running an AR dude, I've got some pretty cool ARs where I'll just, I've got, even though I don't swap the suppressors out between them, I can, if I want to, or if I want to break them down and throw them in a backpack, like I had a little Everly stock cherry bomb, I can take the little AAC mini four off. It's like a little four or five inch can pop that bitch off. The whole thing fits in my pack. I can zip it up, take it on my bike. Little things like that, that you can just, that's the beauty of it, man. Customization. That's, you can do all sorts of cool stuff with it, Yeah, but that's kind of my take on it. How much of a difference or can it, maybe, I, maybe I have the wrong impression. Um, you can tell me if I'm wrong, how, how much of a difference can it make? Let's say I thread the can on my gun. I sighted in. Okay. Now then now I go back to the house. I unscrew my can. I screw it on another gun, shoot that gun, put it back on my other can and go hunt. How can you, is there, is there variance there? Does it make much of a difference to screw it off, put it on a different gun, shoot it, throw it back on? I, it shouldn't, it, it shouldn't make any difference at all, but there's so many like factors, especially if you have a competent, I shouldn't even say competent, a professional gunsmith that threads like for example the vapors doug doug the manufacturer doug at s doug milton the guy that i work with a lot of suppressors on he uh his is a class two half by 28 or five eighths by 24 which that that is the distance from like the top of the thread that's the distance from the bottom of the, of the thread pitch to the top of the thread pitch and you i tell that to the gunsmith so that man when you thread that suppressor even halfways on there's no wiggle it's like it's perfectly meshed threads if if you have those kind of tolerances you should be able to take that suppressor off freaking do a mag dump on another rifle and then thread it right back on and still be good with that said i don't do it you know there's a lot of guys that do studies and like oh well this does it like surefire they're one of their deals is you know they can put it on numerous rifles and have it zeroed and swap it between all of them and it just maintains that on any given break on, on every, any break that you use with their suppressor the, or their proprietary break, right. obviously with their suppressor, but it's just, to me, that yeah. doesn't matter. It doesn't, I don't care. And I'm in a fortunate situation, situation where I'm a dealer and I don't want to say it in a bad way, but if I want to buy a suppressor, I'm just going to go buy one and put it on a gun and leave it. That's yeah. just how, that's what I'm going to do. So to most guys, you know, I, it, it's, that's an important question because guys want to know. They're like, well, dude, I don't want to spend a thousand dollars and get another suppressor. I just want to get one. Yeah. Then you start have to weigh in, you know, all the little, you know, the, the problems that could happen or pros and cons to doing this or that. But it shouldn't on a direct thread, even on, dude, even on a quick detach, if you have a certain break on one rifle and a certain break on another rifle and you zero one rifle with the suppressor, then you take that can off and put it on the other rifle and attach it in zero the rifle in theory that both of those all of those rifles should stay zeroed with that suppressor on it the kicker is the kicker is what's that i said that's good to know the the kicker is is when you take that suppressor off and you try to shoot it without it and then you put it back on 
and try to shoot it with it. Have, you know, one, one more right. than likely, one of those isn't going to be, um, you know, it's not going to be on your, your point of aim, point of aim. You know, it, I mean, it might be your point of aim, but it's not going to be your point of impact. Yeah, One's going to be, one of them's going to be off a little bit with and without it. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's, it's, like I said, I put mine on and leave it zero, the zero, the weapon system with the suppressor and leave it. And then that's how it is. I know a lot of guys like to mix and match shit up and do stuff. I I'm, I'm of the mindset, same thing with thermals, develop one system for one application and let it be, you know, unless you have some freaking money to spend and you want to get into some clip on unit or some shit like that, that's 20 or 30,000 with an EFR. And then you take that, you know, take that, that, that device off and use your system during the day as well as at night. But there's a lot of shit that goes into that too. But I, my mindset is, you know, yeah. De- yeah. develop one system and run it with it, which I understand a lot of guys can't, you know, they just, they, 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 yeah. they, they just can't do that. What well, what's the difference? What's the main difference other than weight? Let's say, okay, guy wants to buy, he, he wants to go out and buy, maybe a more budget option um suppressor he's probably going to get a stainless steel uh right so what what's the main difference there besides the weight is there is there much no the luxury of having less weight yeah you know you have reduction and and tone things like that are very similar you, you can tell some differences in stainless steel versus some titanium suppressors like we've got um shadows there's srt arms shadow xlti and then some shadow xls which are stainless steel there's a big difference in weight and you might be able to hear a little bit of tone difference but it's not anything that's you know it's not there's no compromises there's not going to be any compromise where there's a there's a, a a benefit of one over the other regarding sound suppression your your benefits are coming from weight reduction and more expensive right. materials. What about durability? Um, man, if you want to go down that road, you're going to go through freaking thousands. You're going to go through tens of thousands of dollars worth of barrels before you freaking have to worry about that. You know, like Doug's perspective, <laughs> Yeah, you know, for sure. you, you, that's just something that you have to, you, you know, the durability aspect is, is, unless you're doing mag dumps and full auto freaking mag dumps with these things, I wouldn't worry about it. I would not worry about the reliability factor regarding repeatability, how they're going to perform. Do your research. I mean, obviously dude, there's some manufacturers out there probably that might need to establish some kind of a reputation before I really considered buying their stuff. But most stuff nowadays, man is, there's not really a lot of fly-by-nighters in the suppressor industry, dude. If you look at the the reputable yeah, yeah. manufacturers out there, I wouldn't even consider reliability issues. I I personally wouldn't. That's good to know. Um, I I know one thing that I did was I, I listened to your podcast about suppressors. Um, I think that you filmed there that you recorded with the guy from SRT, right? Yep, Doug. Yep, we do some stuff yep, with him. So We've I listened. Like- I listened to that like three times i think just because there's so much information about suppressors and like when you talk about doing your research like i would really encourage you guys to go listen to that because there's so much information and and you guys dive into so many more in-depth 
things other than just brushing the surface like we are here. Um, I would just encourage you guys to go uh, listen to that podcast of James's. I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot of great information, I think. Well, the thing, and here's the thing, guys, don't take my word for it. I'm just, honestly, I'm just doing work in the field where I don't have a sound meter. Now they just changed some shit where like I was going to invest in a Bruin and car BNK 2209 with a quarter inch compression mic, which was the, that, that was the home. That's what everybody used for sound metering at the time. Now they're saying that doesn't work. You got to have some kind of 18 or $20,000 piece. But now that dude, what that turns into to be, can I be blunt and just say it turns into a legit, dick, it's, a, it's a dick measuring contest, dude. It's just laying it out on the table, going, look at mine. That's it's like, it's like, what, what, I mean, sure. Fuck whatever. But when you get down that road, you, you're, you're, and I, I'm all about it. I'm, I, I am, I don't want to make it sound weird. I'm all about application specific, man. I'm all about purpose driven equipment, purpose driven equipment. Like if I can get everything to the best to perform at the, to the best of its ability, freaking yeah. But there's a certain point where it just doesn't make sense when you're talking a half of a decibel or one decibel. Yep. I'm, I'm not going to go out and research that kind of development with a $20,000. I don't have any interest in that. Somebody else do that shit. Yeah. Not me. I'm, I'm going to get my hands on maybe a suppressor that I think looks cool as shit or a suppressor that looks like the weight is going to be perfect for my little truck gun, or it's going to be, you know, a a, a wicked looking can for a new build that I'm going to do. That's got good reviews. And I'm going to find out for myself how it works and then pass the word on, you know, spread the information. I'm, I'm not going to go out and try to test and get those. It's just something I have zero time for or, or honestly zero interest in. But with that said, with that said, I've made that. Have you seen, heard of that Pew science dude? No, I have not. So that guy's on Instagram and I've had a bunch of guys say, get with that guy, get with that guy. And I'm shot him a message and he's like, hell yeah, dude, I do a podcast with that dude is like, I'm not going to say it in a bad way, but like a suppressor guru, that guy's got shit that like breaks stuff down, like on a scientific physics level of guys like us, not understanding it. Just like, all right, dude, whoa, that's over my head. I don't need to know that shit. So I'm going to kind of have a podcast with him and he's got stats on, like he is the go-to guy for, if you look at his stuff for suppressors, and the you know the numbers of what is the quietest suppressor you know and he he does i don't i haven't even i there's a certain interest level that i'm not really i mean it's cool but i'm not i'm not all about that i am but i'm not i've got other stuff to do but it's it's cool interesting and i tip my hat to guys that will take the time and gain that kind of information, acquire that information and that knowledge so that they can provide it to guys that can't. That's freaking cool. That's what's cool to see. So that, yeah, if you haven't looked at that guy, look at that Pew Science. I haven't established, we could have done it a long time ago, but I'm just a lot of times busy doing a lot of stuff. And then I I just need to get set up with him. I've got a podcast with him and then um, Ron Allen from Allen Engineering. He's a suppressor manufacturer also. Got one lined up with him also. So yeah, that's, it's, you get that 
it, it, that's what it turns into, dude. You know, like I said, and nothing against it because that, that is what drives the market. You know, it's like the thermals. Yeah. So many guys are butthurt at these new RS 75s that are $18,000. Who cares, dude, that technology is going to impact everybody in a good way in the next few years. If you can't afford that, who gives a shit? Don't get butthurt at guys that are running it just because they can run it or they're getting some kind of data collected. That is going to be coming for everybody. That that shit's going to be implemented into helmet-mounted setups, handheld scanners. It's just a matter of time, and it's going to impact everybody in a positive way. And it's going to be competitive. It's going to drive the 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 competition of prices in a more affordable way for guys. I mean, it's just it's that's just the the nature of this yep. whole industry, man. It's it's what's cool to see, but a lot of guys they they take it the wrong way. You know, like I said that's it turns into a dick measuring contest i don't mean that in a bad way but that's what it is but it's not a bad thing it's just like i'm not going to deal with it i'm not going to go out there and try to get get all let somebody else get that data i will look at that data and then i'll base my opinion on that data and hopefully it works good in my favor that's you know that's kind of what we do with thermals and a lot of stuff you know it's just in suppressors even in a way but it's it. Ours is more like yeah. field time, field time use, dude. Not like in the laboratory studying stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, for sure. And I think I think that everybody that, at least from my to, to my knowledge, most of the people that are listening to this are going to be your you know your field guys. But they they want to know what's going to work in the field, and, and that's what I think is important um, here for us to know. So yeah, those are those are all great tips, and I'm. I'm going to be watching for those podcasts of yours because I'm going to have to share those so that way everybody can hear them. Um, I know I'm going to be listening um, because I seriously listened to the other one like three times. Uh, I know for sure. So, well, that's just how everybody learns, man, read and listen to guys that know more than you do. And I don't, you know, I don't, I'm not smarter than anybody. I'm just figured shit out the hard way. And then, you know, I can go, Hey dude, don't do that. We've done it and it doesn't work. You know, that's just, yeah. And yeah, and yeah. it's that's what it's all about. Learn that's how you advance, man. That's how everything advances by doing by by doing stuff like that, figuring stuff out, and then learning from it, and then making even better shit from it. And then you know, then then we get into some crazy stuff. That's yeah. where that's where things are going. Yeah, for sure. If you guys aren't familiar with the O'Neill Ops crew and their website, I believe you can go right on there. You can uh, fill out a form and I think you can get with James and his crew and uh, you can build a rifle uh, with, with them. Am I right about that? Yep. Yep. So I've, yep, exactly, dude. On I've did the website and it's pretty, the, the hardest part is here's the hardest part. It's just, there's so many, you get contacted so many times and most guys don't understand the price of stuff. You know, they might think like a $1,200 suppressor or $1,250 suppressor is twice what it should be. Then that's fine, dude. But you know, I can only, there's only so much time in the day where I can take a phone call and explain to a guy why our suppressor is $1,250 or why the thermal of our choice is $6,000 or why a custom rifle that we use is 5,500 on the, you know, base package. That's not the expensive package. So what I've done is just kind of did what you said. You can, you can get a hold of me on the website via email and it shows kind of a starting point with prices, which is designed. It's by design to weed guys out from 
just calling to think that they're going to get a thousand dollar rice. Yeah, exactly. It's like, Hey dude, if you're serious about this shit, here's the price. You can shoot me an email and then I'll respond. And if you want to talk, we'll talk. If you have freaking, you know, if you, if it's within your budget, I'll freaking get you taken care of. But if it's not, then, you know, don't, don't get a hold of me because you're wasting both of our time. And I don't want to be that way, but at a certain point in time, you got yeah. to do that. You, you just have to, you can't, you can't explain to everybody why thermal technology is so expensive, dude. You know, get guys that are like, Oh, well, I, yeah. I want to get a thermal, but I only have $800. I'm like, dude, what in the hell are you talking about? It's crazy. Yeah, for sure. No, that's cool. And uh, I, I just noticed that too on your website the other day. Um, so if that's something you're in the market for, I would uh, encourage you to check that out because I don't think there's many people that uh, are going to set you up to, to be a precision hunter more than James will. Try to, man. I try to. It's just something that we enjoy doing. Try hard, try hardest at it. That's for sure. Absolutely. Uh, well, I think we'll uh, get to wrapping up here and I really appreciate your time, James. And I, Really enjoyed our conversation here. And like I said, everyone needs to go check out. If you aren't familiar with O'Neill Ops, uh, you need to go on YouTube after this, check it out, subscribe, and just watch all these videos. I mean, it's some of the best coyote footage you're going to see. And you, like I said, if you want to see how to absolutely crush coyotes, it is awesome. And his podcast also is great. I've caught a lot of great information. He talks to some great people. The one with Randy Anderson, Les Johnson, those ones are epic. Those two are, are legends that I looked up to as a kid. And I would encourage anyone to go over and check those out. Yeah, dude, I appreciate that. That's our goal is, like I say, on some of the podcasts is my goal is to get SME subject matter experts, guys that know more about stuff than we do. I mean, I guarantee you Les knows more about contest yeah, calling yeah. than we do. Randy probably knows freaking way more about calling coyotes with any kind of hand calls than we do. So it's just, it's, it's getting, yeah. it's getting information out to guys to help them out if they want to seek it out and learn from it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's kind of, kind of what I hope to do here too, is just bring on people that are, are good at their craft and, and can bring something to the table to, to hopefully pass on to someone and help them in, in what they do. Okay. Yeah. If you want to end with anything or any specific questions or anything like that, dude, let me know. I'll freaking hammer it out. If you still got anything else you want to touch base on. Uh, here, here was one question. I already know the answer because I've heard you say it before, but um, just for everyone else, like if you, if you got to pick, pick to spend your money on a gun or optics, what are you going to, where are you going to put your money? Okay, say that again. On gun and optics, both. Gun or if you have to splurge in one area, if it's a gun or optics. Okay, like what's a budget? Like what are you talking let's about? Say, let's say, let's say, uh, uh, let's say you have a thousand dollar gun, eight hundred thousand dollar gun, but then yep. you might have a three four thousand dollar budget for a scope vice versa would you rather someone pay three thousand dollars for a gun or three thousand dollars for a scope i would personally me i would go with glass because here's the thing if you reload you can make that rifle shoot yep 
I think. And if you can't freaking trash that bitch and get another one, you know, I mean, that's what (laughs) you do. That's what, that's seriously you, most of the time with these manufacturing, like, um, dude, I've got so many good Remingtons that just shoot dots or even, you know, like the, Oh shoot. There's, there's my, my buddy just showed up today and he, I, I had to zero a bolt, a thermal TL 35 for him. And he had a little Christensen arms, carbon fiber, 17 HMR. That was like freaking not very expensive. I mean, it was like, maybe it wasn't a Christian's arms. Anyway, it was a wicked little setup and it shot good dude. And it was only, I think he said 900 bucks, lightweight, little 17 HMR. But, um, that's what I think you can, it kind of depends on what you're going to do too, because glass quality, man, from early morning till late night, you're the, the, the guy that's got better glass is going to win just like night vision and thermal guy that has thermal is going to win dude every time. Yeah, for sure. But that's how, that's what I would, it's hard for me to even say, it's hard for me to say that because man, it's hard to buy a really expensive piece of glass and not have a freaking badass rifle behind it too. Right. You know? But if yeah. you, if you reload, that's what I would say. If you can reload, you're not, you're not stuck with what that rifle's capable of with factory ammo. You can do so much more. Yeah. That's the, and then, and then you buy a good, good piece of glass. It's got awesome magnification, a fine, really fine reticle, and you can just freaking tune that bitch up. That's, yeah. that's what I, that's what I would say probably. Yeah. That's actually crazy. You know, we, we live in such a fucked up world where, you know, people that do shoot factory ammo have been in a rough spot this past uh, couple of years. So I'm awfully thankful that I reloaded during this time. Oh man. I've got guys that want that are like, dude, where do you get 20 to do 50? Where do you, can you load for them? I'm like, dude, it's, it's, it's a really, it's way out there, but if shit hit the fan, I want every bit of shit that I've got, man, because yeah, I've got yeah. guys that know how to use it. And I got, I got spots where we can gas shit. Nobody knew what was going to happen at COVID. I'm a prepper man by design, just because a rancher, yeah. that's what you do. You know, yep. you, you don't prep for freaking four people. You prep for a thousand, 1200 head of cattle. So it's not hard to go. All right, dude, if this shit's going to happen, we need to have X amount of rounds for this, X amount of rounds for that, X amount of rounds for that. This guy's going to use this. This guy's going to use this. This is my weapon of choice. Dude, I had like 300 rounds of 338 Norma Meg gassed up, still sitting over there ready to <laughs> rock and roll, you know, for some yeah. shit. It's, it's, it's tough. But like you said, it's just a shit show. It's always and who cares guys that are haters, you know, you prep or I'm not a conspiracy theorist by any means, but dude, I remember my grandma, my grandma had a, a root cellar, a potato cellar. She'd go down there and that's how them people lived. It's, it was not out of the ordinary for them to have to can their food because they went through a time in their life where they were hungry. We've never had to worry about that. We've never had to worry about that. And heaven forbid we ever have to worry about that. But people with that comes complacency. Guys don't give a shit. They can go out to a fast food restaurant and buy whatever they want, whenever they want. We're out here in the middle of nowhere, dude, where we have to drive 60 miles. We had to drive 30 some miles to school every day, 40 minutes to school, 40 minutes back. And it's just the nature of the beast. We, we prep, we might not go to the extent some of these guys on field craft survival or guys online that do all this shit for YouTube, but it's, it's everyday life for us and the weapon systems that we run, the reloading components that we use, how we do all of that stuff. It's 
all part of this ecosystem, man, that goes hand in hand with worst case scenario. Yeah. You know, it's, dude, it's just, it goes to like little, that's what we need to do is I need to do a podcast on prepping. Like it's, it's just as easy as having a, like a, I, uh, a mimetic IFAC case in my Raptor. You never, or, or, or even like a little thing, dude, like a, like a, um, uh, any kind of a, of a tool or a, a, just a pocket knife when you need to have it or a light an everyday carry light when you need to have it. It's just, it's, it's crazy that there's so many little things that people take for granted. You see somebody have a wreck on the side of the road and they're stuck upside down, crushed inside of a car and you got to get them out. Dude, you need something to cut their seatbelt out. It's little things like that, that so many people just overlook. Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent agree. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah, that, just, I think that COVID woke everybody up. Like, holy shit. Like what happens? I don't have any ammo. I don't have any, you know, you had guys that didn't go deer hunting because they didn't have bullets to put in their rifle. You know, hopefully, dude. I, I hope that it woke them up. And I'll tell you what, I, we will get kind of just real quick. It's it's crazy. Like you, how old you're what are you, 20 something? 26, it'll be 27. Okay, yeah, it's, so you're like my little brother's age. Um, <laughs> yeah. And when I, so there was, oh fuck, I don't even want to go there, but it's just crazy the way the world's going, man. And I saw this show. I used to watch a show when I was a kid called Willow. Have you ever heard of that show? Willow? No, I have not. Dude, it's a, it's a freaking cool show. But anyway, Disney just came off with a spinoff using some of the same characters. And it is unreal. The shit that them, the people like that push It's got a couple of lesbo chicks on there doing this stuff. And I'm like, <laughs> what in you guys wrecked a perfectly good movie by pushing your it's unreal the way this world's going. I was just listening yeah. on the radio. Russia's not doing China. It's crazy, dude. What we're, what we're, what the kind of hole that we're digging ourselves into. It's fucking yeah. unreal, man. Have kids have my, my, this is my message to everybody that follows us is have kids and freaking raise them. Right. You know, make yep. them, make them freaking grow up to respect their elders and, and get them away from freaking phones and games. And it's the, the way that it's going, man, you got to get your kids freaking hard. You got to train your kids, teach them the right ways before they get to college, dude, because the way that this shit show is going, it's fucking, we've got a lot bigger things to worry about than coyote hunting, man. In my, yeah. in my the way that I'm looking at it. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. You know, yeah, you could do time to raise kids. Yeah, dude, you do podcasts on stuff like that. You said you have a, is that your first kid for a 15 year old? 15 yep, year old? Yep. yep. That's my first. Cool, dude. Congrats to you on that. Hopefully you have a whole bunch more because we need guys like you having <laughs> kids that freaking get shit straight when the time comes. Yeah. I hope that, uh, I think she's going to be a little hunter. She's uh, already Hell yeah. obsessed with animals and she likes to pet my deer heads and, and yeah. do like that. So cool. That's what I like to hear, man. Good for you. Good for your family. That's yeah, awesome. Keep her out of trouble too. That's what kept me out of trouble is I spent all my time hunting. Yep. That's the right way to do it. Everybody, you could go to the bar every time after you, you can do all sorts of different shit, man. But you, yep. There's a lot of people that make bad decisions and a lot of guys that make good decisions and hopefully we can all learn to make better decisions. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. All right, James. Well, I'll, uh, I'll let you go. It's getting late and, uh, you got a house full of kids too, uh, that are probably missing you at this point. So yeah, they're running yeah. down. I I could hear them banging away down in the weight room. So hopefully they got there. 
energy worked out. <laughs> there you go. All yeah. right. Well, we'll, uh, we'll catch up with you another time and, uh, everybody go check out, I'll put the links in the description below to check out James's stuff. And, uh, hopefully you listen to this podcast and become a, a regular follower of his, like I am, because it'll, it'll, it'll make you better. And that's what I think everybody needs to, to strive for. So I really appreciate you coming on James and, uh, we will catch up with you hopefully soon. Cool, brother. I appreciate it, man. Yeah. Thank you, man. We'll talk to you later. Yep. All right, guys. Go on Instagram right now. Search O'Neill Ops. And when you get finished with that, go on YouTube and hit the subscribe button on the O'Neill Ops YouTube channel. They have one of the best YouTube channels for a predator hunter that I can imagine. And you definitely want to check that out. Watch their videos. Listen to his podcast, Predator Hunter Podcast. Um, it's all just great information that you can never stop expanding on. So, um, like always, go on Instagram, find me Predator Podcast underscore Drew. Send me a message. Show me your success. I want to see how everybody's doing out there. So, uh, we'll be back next week for episode seven. But uh, until then, shoot straight.